All right, this is the Family Prosperity Podcast. I'm Michael Redden, and this podcast is all about families and family businesses and how we can keep our families together, how we can succeed and pass on our legacies, our talents, and our wealth to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You know, you, you hear those stories, right, where uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Somebody starts from nothing, builds it all the way up, and by the third generation, everybody's broke again. That's definitely one of those phenomena that uh, we are struggling against. That's what this podcast is about, kind of preventing that, you know, uh, even our entrepreneurs in America, you know, um, they say what on average that uh, it takes three times of building your fortune and losing it again and building it back up before you finally kind of catch your stride and learn what you need to do to keep the hold of it and keep those things kind of going. And that's what this podcast is about, talking about those skills and those problems and those unique challenges that uh, come out for families and family businesses. Um, many different podcasts, you know, they talk about entrepreneurship, how you're going to build wealth, what you're going to do, how you get rich. And we're more about uh, how you're going to stay rich once you get there, how you're going to keep that success, how you're going to pass on your values to your children, how those talents that every family member has can actually enhance the experience and keep things going. Um, it took a long time for folks to get there, and the last thing we want to see is for them to, you know, take a step back or go backwards. You know, a lot of times out there, you know, if you've been in that family business or you've been around them long enough, you hear those stories, you know. Somebody works their whole life, they build it up, they kind of go out there, and what's the next thing that happens? The children or someone come into some challenges. Maybe some of the family members argue, but for whatever happens, however the story goes, the ending's the same. The business is gone. Some people may have money, some people may not, but the family's definitely not speaking uh, to each other anymore or anything like that. And that's kind of the backdrop of how I got involved in these things, you see. I'm a lawyer, and uh, when I graduated law school, like everybody else, you know, I was kind of bright-eyed and eager and ready to go. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to save the world. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to help people. But that was the height of the Great Recession right when I came out. And, you know, the economy was doing those, uh, doing what it does. And I ended up, like a lot of folks, not doing exactly what they thought they were going to do when they got out of college, what they thought they wanted to do. Um, a lot of people were suing each other. Companies went under. Um, nobody was able to make ends meet. It was kind of, you know, in free fall. And I was that lawyer that they sent out to come see you when a judgment happened, you know, say you got sued or something like that. You, uh, couldn't pay or things didn't go your way. And the judge put a judgment against you. That's when you came across my desk and, you know, I, I, uh, represented, uh, affluent families and, uh, uh, communities of neighbors and things like that. And, it was my job to go and find the money, figure out what was going on. And normally when you we're talking about these things in a good economy, these things really happen and come across when two businesses kind of they, they have their dispute and they've prepared for it. And uh, if you can't pay, then you know you come to some kind of arrangement. There's like a payment plan or things like that. And you solve those things. You really only came across my desk when you could pay 
but you decided you wouldn't. You thought, you know, I'm just not going to pay and I'm not going to pay. And that's going to force you then to come to the negotiating table. You're going to have to um, give me a deal or something like that. And, and, and that's when they hired me to come and go find your stuff. And I would uh, take your car sometimes, take your bank account other times. Sometimes I would take your house. Sometimes I'd get creative, you know. Um, I've taken boats. Uh, I've hit, hit business accounts. I think the weirdest thing I ever saw get seized was a Rolex in an evidence locker. And things just kind of went like that. You know, it was businesses. It was people who were successful. No one was really ruined, you know. Um, if you've been in business long enough, sometimes you know that um, you're faced with that choice. Do I break this contract if it's not good for me, if it's, you know, is it an efficient breach or something like that. But during this time period, it, you really couldn't do things like that, you know. Uh, everything was coming down around everybody. And after a little bit, it wasn't just, you know, deals going bad. It started becoming lives going bad. And I think I remember that the first time that I thought, you know, something's different. Something's changed. I came in to work on a Monday morning, and uh, there was a phone call coming in. And uh, the other attorney in the line, basically, you know, he said to me and to my partner, he said, your client's in a really strong position. And that's not something that we hear very often, especially, you know, usually I'm not hearing much from other lawyers and things like that when we're in the you know, come take your stuff kind of phase of the, of the lawsuit. There's not a lot to negotiate then, right? I mean, we already went to court, you lost, and now it's time to pay. There's not much argument or things that you have. So it was, it got our attention. And so I was naturally curious. And I just listened on and he said, you know, when you came and seized that bank account, that was their operating account. And yet, you got $100,000. See, this was a really big judgment. They owed a lot of money. You know, a lot of folks in that time uh, owed a lot because, you know, business dried up, people were unemployed, they couldn't pay, and then everyone wanted all their money. And banks got big judgments, and, and so did uh, businesses. And if you didn't go bankrupt, well, people had to collect them. And so uh, we never know what we're actually going to get when we go to seize a bank account. We, we don't. You know, you, you send the request out to the bank and you tell them how much is owed and you see what you get. I was kind of shocked when I heard that. The 100000 I think that was the most I'd ever seized in one go. But that really wasn't got me when he said, he goes, you know, that was payday. All those vendor checks bounced. All those paychecks bounced. And just like that, there was that silence that you're hearing on, on, on the line there. That was the same thing that he heard on the phone. Because that really hit me because I, I thought to myself, you know, wait a minute. This isn't a company somewhere. This isn't that faceless thing out there that's going to recover. This isn't a game that, you know, two business owners are playing. This is real now. Mortgages didn't get paid. Groceries didn't get bought. Real people missed their bills. It wasn't just a company that had to tighten its belt for a little bit.
real people got hurt. And, you know, I, I had that lump in my throat. I felt like someone, you know, hit me in the gut because, you know, when you want to become a lawyer to help people, the last thing you want to do is hurt them. You know, that's that's the kind of lawyer everybody hates. You know, they, they hate those guys who just, you know, uh, come in when there's trouble, when it's Debbie Downer and, and people get hurt. I, that's the last thing I ever wanted to be. But, you know, in business and things, uh, these things happen and things get repossessed. Those things go, you know, um, the creditors and those folks took a risk. You know, that's business. And that's how you make sure you kind of cut your loss and pair your loss. But, you know, it was different than the Great Recession. Businesses went under. People got hurt. And this is the first time it really hit home with me. But it, you know, it, it, it continued to get worse because as things went on, I got more and more phone calls like that. And it's what I heard all day, every day. And in that case, my client didn't want to offer a payment plan, didn't want to work with them. They were in trouble too. They had to get every penny. They needed it. Everyone was hurting. Everyone was going under. There were no negotiations. And even though it was a necessary part of the economy, I started thinking to myself, you know, is this where I want to be? I mean, wealth's being destroyed all around me. I, I want to help people. And I just kept, you know, my nose down and I kept working, but it, it was always nagging me in the back of my head. And I remember the day that it was kind of like the last straw for me. The day that I said, you know, I, I, I can't do this anymore. That's when, you know, the phone rings and I look over there and it wasn't my secretary that moved it back. It wasn't a paralegal. It was, it was straight to my desk. And that usually meant that it was one of those debtors who'd gotten through. And I picked up the phone and uh, the first thing I heard was, a woman's voice and you know that shaky sound you hear in a voice when they're just barely keeping it on barely holding it together not crying quite yet not choking back tears yet but it's there right there on the surface that's what I heard and uh, the first thing she said was you know that was everything I had I've already paid my bills and things. I'm out of exemptions. If you don't know, when you've got that judgment like that, your exemptions are what the state says your creditors can't get. It was all the money she had left. Her business was gone. It was a family business that had been around for generations. And it was what she wanted to use for her daughter to pay for school clothes. She said, I can't buy school clothes for my daughter now. Please don't take that. I can pay you monthly. I'll pay you forever. I don't want to file bankruptcy. I just want to provide for my kid. I don't have anything left. And I didn't know what to say. 
I felt like crap, you know? It was my client's right to do this. It was their right to go get it. They were hurting too. They were losing money too. I was stuck in the middle. I was basically this merchant of misery in between there, that middleman for it, you know? Circumstances had brought it about. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my client's fault. Heck, it probably even wasn't this woman's fault. When the economy peeled over like that, everybody's stuff kind of went away and there was nothing anyone could do about it. But I was just thinking to myself, you know, I don't like this anymore. I don't like this feeling. I want to I help people. I want to do good things. You know, um, I don't want to be life's janitor anymore. I don't want to only be involved when there's a mess and when there's bad things. I want to come around and when I call people, I want them to be looking forward to it. I want my kids to look up to me. And, you know, it's an honest living what I was doing, but I wasn't proud of it. I wasn't proud of it at all. And I thought about my kids, you know, I was like, you know, what kind of role model am I going to be to them? You know, I have four sons and they were all pretty young around here that time. I think the fourth one wasn't even born yet, <laughs> but the other three were there. And, you know, uh, I taught, I want to teach them to help people, to be out in their community, to get the good things, build people up. You know, we all want that positivity. Life isn't always that way. You know, life's ugly, life's messy, but you want you want to uh, be mostly positive. And if my kids looked at me and they said, Daddy, what do you do? I thought, to myself, you know, what am I going to say? Something like, you know, I help people collect bills. No, I'm going to tell them, you know, where they're at and tell them like it's real. I'm going to have to say, Daddy makes people broke. Daddy takes their money. And I knew they weren't going to be able to understand that. Because I really couldn't understand it myself. You want to be the hero for your kids. You want to be that guy they look up to, the, the, the slayer of dragons, the defeater of monsters, G.I. Joe, all that stuff. You want to be that. And I thought, you know, there's no way that my kids could ever think that was anything but the villain in this story. Companies and corporations, you know, when when they're coming to collect debt like that, they're not, people aren't sympathetic with that. They're sympathetic with those other people who are losing things. And I was too. I couldn't do it anymore. I wanted to be on the side that preserved wealth, that helped people grow. Not the side that just gets taken away. And I knew how I'd gotten here. Before I was a lawyer, I was an intelligence analyst for the Air Force. And that really teaches how to analyze things, look at where the source of things are. And it really taught me how to analyze and find assets, find where people had money, find where the paper trail is and follow it. So you know, I had a certain set of skills. And they were a nightmare for you if there was a judgment against you. If there was a way to get there, I was going to get there. And I was good at it. 
And, you know, I could be proud of that kind of thing when it was the wartime. And it really was bad guys we were going after. But it wasn't bad guys here. Nuh-uh. It was regular Americans trying to just hold it together. Family businesses and family wealth that had gone for generations just poof, gone. And I was coming around helping take the last of it. Wasn't going to be able to do it. And so I went and talked to, you know, my partner, everybody about it. I'm like, you know, how did we get to this point? Americans make all this wealth. How do we get to this point? What can, what, what can these people do, really, to make sure these things stay in their, 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 their families? And uh, we thought about, you know, fancy trusts and other things they could have done, all these things they could have done with their corporations, shell companies and things. And, you know, sure, some of those things might help you keep your wealth in this generation. But passing it on to the next one, really having that dynasty wealth, it's more than that, okay? Because I've seen trust be pierced through. We've all heard about corporations be pierced through. Shell companies too. Fancy contracts? Come on. If the contracts worked, then I never would have had the job because they never would have got the judgment. The contracts help. But they usually didn't stop a judgment, and so you still got on my desk. There had to be something more than that, you know? And uh, I didn't think I was going to find it at my law firm. I wasn't sure I was going to find it there kind of period. Law is not known for something that kind of keeps those things together. So I, I knew I had to leave. So I quit, and I thought, you know... If you want to learn about wealth success stories more than, you know, the tragedies, then I need to go into some place that's, you know, it's wealth management or it's insurance or something like that. Because the law really only comes around when it's like a Debbie Downer thing. Most of the time you're looking at about lawyers and law when it comes to the court cases and things went bad. And I had to get there before that. So... I left and I went to work for a major insurance and wealth management company. And I was there for about a year. And I got to speak to thousands of families, thousands of financial advisors. I got to speak to all kinds of accountants all over the country, these folks were. And when I took these calls and things, I got to hear about people's situations. I got to see the good and the bad. I got to see how everything can go wrong because, you know, lawyers, they always see that. But I got to see where it went right, too. And, you know, I started putting that experience together and looking at it, looking at my old client files and my experience, and, you know, I thought, you know, people have these trusts and things, and they succeed, and sometimes they fail. But there were people who succeeded without these trusts, and there were people that failed with them. And then after a while, I started to notice this kind of pattern. There was something really different about those people who succeeded. Those people who succeeded, those families had something different. They knew who they were. There was a legacy kind of thing there. 
they operated together. Most of these families who didn't succeed, there was that one wealth creator who was at the top, built everything up by his own strength of will, you know? He was usually larger than life for him. And that person was the individual, the entrepreneur. That's what Americans are, right? We're, we're individuals. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've got that grit. We know who we are. We've got a product. We've got an idea. We've got a dream. And we go out there and we get it and we face the world. And we hold it all up by just the strength of us and our personality. And then, you know, also too, when the time comes to pass things on, we usually hand it off to one or two or the kids, and that's what we, what we intend. Even in families where not all the kids are in the business, one's really responsible for it, and it's that person's strong personality, and they seem to have that power in that relationship. And that doesn't go very well. These other folks, the family came together. They recognized the talents and contributions of people who were both in the family business and out. They took care of the people, not just the money. It was all together so that if any one of them came into trouble, it didn't take them all down. They were all there ready to help. And what this is really here is they had a governance for their family, okay? Just like for your business, you might have corporate governance. You know, you got your boards and everything else. They had this for their family. And I started noticing a lot about how these things went, whether it was with the wealth advisors and other things, you know. I noticed, that, you know, hey, everybody always talks about, I'm this holistic planner or, you know, I help families and uh, they don't look at the whole picture. Well, let me tell you, it's just not true for most of them, Okay. For most of them, it's we want to do that, we think about doing that, but we don't really do that. We don't really try that. Okay? Well, let me give you kind of an example here, what I usually we usually come across when I was doing this. Now, most families and things like that, they answer kind of like this. You know, even the advisors, you know, I'd be I'd, I'd interview them and I would say, Hey, you know, who are you working with? You know, tell me about some of these successful families. Tell me about what they're doing. And I would say, hey, tell me about that family. They wouldn't say, you know, the family likes this. This is the family's mission statement. This is what they do. This is who the family is. He would say, you know, Bob's the, the dad. He, he owns a business with his brother. Got a wife, got two or three kids. Um, they're really planning on maybe later on passing it to the kids. But, you know, he wants his kids to have this. He, he, he. We're going to pass it on to the kids, Billy, Bobby, and Susie. And I started thinking to myself, you know, that's not telling me about the family. That's telling me about these individuals. Hmm. Every now and then, I would ask somebody about that family, and I wouldn't hear about these individuals. I'd hear, you know, well, you know, this is our family, and we, you know, we come together and we support each other. We invest in nice causes and charitable causes, and we have the family business, and we really want to encourage everyone's passions, and we uh, support that with education, and we come together and we decide these things, and you know, this is who we are. We're we're the Smiths, not we're Jim and my wife and my and these two kids. 
And that's where I started to see the pattern. Because I got to talk to some of these families and things too. And when I look back in the files and things, because I could see what everyone wrote, the notes about the families, you could tell where the ones had it, where it was just those individuals and ones who didn't. So when I talked to a couple of them, I said, you know, tell me about your business. None of them started out by saying, the CEO is this, the vice presidents are that, my manager's names are this. They would say, hey, you know, we're in this industry. This is why we were formed. This is what we believe in. This is the value that we go. These are the principles we go by. These are our goals. This is how we affect our community. And we all come together as a team. And this is what we do. We go on forward. And that was important. Because that company, it was alive. It was a real. It was a person. You know, I could, I could relate to it. It was something you could reach out and hold on to. You know, that's why they say, you know, corporations are people too, right? Trusts are people too. And so is everything else. But your family should be just as alive. You know, you got to bring that family to life. It's got to be a real person too. And that's what I think was missing. And that's and, and the more that I move along on this journey, the more I'm convinced of that. Because that's been the basis for all of the success that I've seen. Whether it's success with my clients or success with other families that I've read about and interviewed that were successful. They all had that. Okay? And I really knew that this was what it was about. When a couple of times I'd be talking to these accountants or these financial advisors, and I'd be saying, tell me about that family, because, you know, they'd call me into consult or to help them. And they would go, you know, hey, do that same thing. I'd get maybe one or two lines about the company, and then I'd start getting basically the family tree. I said, no, 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 no. I didn't ask you about the individual family members I want to know about the family. And they scratched their head for a minute. And that's when I started to realize the reason why we're so bad at this in America is because we're planning for the wrong person. We create more wealth in this country than any other country on the planet. And that's because the entrepreneur is that individual. Through strength of will and his idea, he's able to pull it all together and hold it there and, and build it and create it and stand by it. But also, it's his greatest weakness. Because if wealth is going to go beyond him, then he's going to have to step back from that a little bit. He only can carry that so far by himself. And if he wants to pass it on to his family, he needs to do that. Not pass it on to another individual, right? Because the individual is just one person. They got the same limitations he does. 
And it's just, we get our best lessons from business in this country. And that's exactly what happens with those businesses, right? They get to that point where it's $5 million revenue or $15 million revenue. Every, every business has got a different point. But where they got to scale, where the entrepreneur can't do it all anymore. They've got to step away from a lot of the things they used to do. Maybe things they defined themselves defined themselves on, based their identity around. Someone else has to do it. They can't do the fifteen dollar an hour work anymore. Sometimes they can't even do the hundred thousand dollar year work anymore if the business has succeeded enough. Someone else has to come do that. There are business owners who can't handle that, and you know what? They never grow. The same comes with that family. They've got to let that go, not be just their own. Put it over towards the family. That's how it really succeeds from one generation to the next. And you see the parallels kind of everywhere, okay? We know what really what it takes for that wealth to survive that one generation, to keep it from that cycle of boom and bust, you know? Entrepreneurship and building a business is risks, right? I don't want to say it's gambling, but sometimes the odds make it almost like that. And that's what's so great about it. That's why we do it. That's why it fuels your passion. So think of that more like if you went down to the casino and you went over to the blackjack table. And, you know, you get to sit down at the table and you're an entrepreneur, right? So when you first sit down and start your business, usually you you got to put everything you have in there. You're not going out usually and getting venture capital at first or a big business loan. Even if you are, though, that loan's secured by everything you own. So you're really putting everything you have, everything you worked for in on that loan. Where you're doing the same thing when you're at that blackjack table if you're the entrepreneur. You're putting everything on that table. And, you know, even though it's random a little bit, there's some strategy to blackjack, right? There is. Maybe that'd be counting card strategy, but you know, you know when to ask to hit me. You know when to split them if you've been around long enough, reading the books. You can do math that way and get an advantage even if you uh, don't count cards. Well, those first couple of times where you boomed and bust, you may have been up one, up two. Then boom, you get hit and it's gone. The next time you come around, you win that first hand. But you keep everything on the table. Keep everything in the game. You win another hand. But everything stays on the table. Then boom, you bust. Back to nothing. So you walk away from the table and you go back out and go on your way. You build things back up. You get some more money. You want to go at it again. You step back up to that blackjack table. You learned a little bit since last time. Done a little more strategy. Maybe watched the game a little bit from the outside. Read some books. Yeah. So you walk up there and you know it's that first hand. So you got to go all in again. So you do. You win that first hand. But now you're a little wiser for your ways. You take some of that money off the table. So now if you lose that hand, you don't go back to zero. 
Now, you play that next hand, and you win. Take some more off the table. You get to that third hand again on that third try at being an entrepreneur. You finally bust out. Something goes bad. Something goes wrong. But you know what? This time you don't lose at all because everything's not on the table. You live the fight another day. That's the kind of thing that we learn and we need in business to get us to that success level, that first one. That's how we big break that cycling part in business. But we should be applying the same principle when we want to pass it on to the next generation. If that entrepreneur had everything on his shoulders and didn't take anything off the table, he'd bust out. At the very least, he wouldn't scale anymore. But most likely, he's going to head to bust out at some point. The same thing is going to happen if he hands all his chips to one person again on the way out. Even to two or three people, kind of. Because unlike businesses, corporations, and trusts and things, people die. People make mistakes. Life is messy and things happen to people, whether they're divorced or otherwise. But you can make your family a person too. And your family doesn't die. So when you take everything off the table and you hand it to your family, something may happen to one of them, but it's not going to happen to all of them. They can all help. They can all pitch in. So when you walk away from that blackjack table and you go back with your money, before you go back in the casino, you should take some of it out, hand it to your family, and say, take care of this for me. And that's what family governance kind of does for you. Once you've beaten those odds and you've got that stuff together, then you bring your family to life. You get together and you say, hey, yeah, we want to do this. We're all in, not the table, we're all in with each other. And that's what gets you to that next level. Those families are real and they make decisions together. And... Even if one kid's in the business and the other ones aren't, there's not that power imbalance. He's not holding all the chips. They all are. They're in it together. And when he's stumbling, those ones who aren't in the business help him and vice versa. It keeps the family together. It takes care of the people too because those other ones, they can take care of the family vacations. They can take care of you know, education investing. They can take care of the public image. They can take care of philanthropy if you need it. Those things are all valued. Not just the entrepreneurial side. And, you know, when I saw this, when I found it, I said, you know, this is great. When I've talked to family business owners who are transitioning or thinking about leaving and they talk about having that intergenerational wealth and things, or even when they just talk about their problems, they all kind of sense this. I think if you really think about it, you sense this. That's why you might be saying to yourself, if you're one of those business owners, 
I know I need to plan for this. I'm going to get out and retire in seven years. And the next year you say, I'm going to get, I'm going to retire in seven years. And the next year you say, I'm going to retire in seven years. But you don't do anything to get closer. You sense that. You can't quite put it to words. But if you think about it, I, I bet you think it's, it's exactly that. That's why you haven't moved kind of forward with it. You know it's got to be bigger than you. You may think, the kids aren't ready. That's because you think about handing it over to that one person. But the family's ready. The family can be ready. You can do, it. You can do anything together. And that really is... What makes us succeed? I've seen it time and again. And I thought, you know, I want to bring this out into the forefront. It's something that the ultra wealthy knew. It's something that the best of the financial advisors knew. I would say fewer of the lawyers knew than anything. But it's not something they taught in law school or business school. But it's out there. And after studying that with these folks around the world, some of these families internationally, I just knew we could do better. I mean, I've seen a lot of people succeed. And let me tell you, if the French can do it, Americans can do it so much better. We build businesses better. We create more wealth better. We can create dynasties better. I just don't want to see any more wealth destroyed. And we've got all the baby boomers now transitioning. All that money in motion. Life's work. It should go on to help families and help them grow and get to the next level. But what I don't see is a lot of people out there really telling you how to do it. I see a lot of people telling you how to make money. How to get rich, get wealthy. Some of them will tell you how to save money and and go that way and others tell you how to scale your business but nobody's really telling you how to keep it out there nobody's telling you how to successfully push on the next generation a lot of people that are going to sell you a trust talk about taxes this and that but they're not really telling you how to help your family grow help you stay together and keep going forward with that and that's a shame but that's what I'm going to do that's what this podcast's about. That's what I believe in. That's what our other host Mason believes in. It's worked in his family. It's worked in others. And that's what we want to share. We're going to talk about those business topics and those other things. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the other part, but it's going to be in that context of how do you take that and make it work for your family? And this isn't cookie cutter stuff here. It's not super difficult. Any family can do it. But it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And that's something I would encourage folks to avoid thinking. Don't let anybody tell you this is the one way. Take it from me. Whether it's your accountant, your financial advisor, any consultant. There's not usually one way. They may think this is the one way that's perfect. That does the best for the tax numbers. This may be the one thing that's perfect as far as locking the trust up for the kids. But that's not the one way. It may not be what's perfect for you. Okay? Life's messy. I'm willing to bet your family's not perfect. 
We don't need them to be. It's got to just be functional. It's got to work. If one thing I would criticize my profession for, it's dreaming up these structures and these plans that are really good in theory. But then when you put them into practice, there's a whole lot of challenges and things that no one thought about. They kind of get in the way, and we wish we could take them back. You guys ever notice that? Whether it's science, you know, the policy, everything else. A lot of people have these dreams and ideals and these big ideas. They change a little bit once they meet life. But that's not really what my profession is really doing with that. Because the first time you think about doing this kind of planning or getting things together, people start talking about making trusts in other vehicles, may sell you some products. I'm here to tell you, that's the last step. The absolute last step on that journey. You need to come around and you need to figure out who your family is. You need to bring that family to life. You need to decide this is even a journey you want to go on. Because even if you lock that money up, even if it becomes untouchable and it'll never run out, if you just pass those rules on to your kids and your family for generations and dictate how it's going to go in a vacuum... It's not going to end the way you want it. That's how it ruins the kids. Because at some point along the way, if you don't know if that structure is going to work, if it can't bend a little bit, it's going to come across those kids that it's going to break. So the first thing that you should do is find something that works for you. And it's okay if it's not perfect. You built a business. You built wealth. You took risks. You can't take every risk off the table, and you know that. Just make sure that the ones you do take are the ones you choose. And take them together. And you can alter that thing, and you can change that thing a little bit as it goes, because you know what? Your family grows. Your family changes. What matters is that they stay together, and they do it together, and they face it together. And right now, you can't predict how things are going to change. Just like you can't predict how your industry is going to be, how your business is going to be, how the economy is going to be in a generation, much less two or three. So don't think that you're going to be able to set the rules in stone for everybody without their input. It's wishful thinking. At its worst. You need to find what will work. You need to keep it that way. And then when you've come together as a family, you've decided what you want to do and how you want to operate together, how you want to be, you want to know who you are. You tested that out a little bit and it works. Then you make those structures. And you make your life and your business and your finances mirror that. A lot of us go wrong when we make that trust, we make those structures, we pass that business on with that buy sell or something else. And then we tell the family, hey, this is what I made. Bend yourself to it. Make yourself look like it. I hope that doesn't sound like a good idea to you because in practice it's usually not. The best thing is 
Look at your family. Look at its dynamics. Look at how it operates. Make the trust. Make the business. Make the wealth. Make the support system. Look like it. That's the real secret. And really what I wanted to do today was, you know, introduce myself, introduce this podcast, give you a little background on me and kind of see where I came from with this. Because this is what we want to talk about kind of going forward and keeping things together, keeping families together, preparing for the intergenerational wealth. And I hope that I've given you a lot to think about. Because if you can keep that in kind of in that context, if you can just come and walk away from this thinking, who is my family? How do I bring them to life? Not just individual people, bring them together. So you can do that, then you've got a real shot. And keep coming back to the podcast because we're going to cover more topics, both business-related, family wellness-related, uh, life-related, and we're going to explore these things together. So again, tune in next time. This is the Family Prosperity Podcast, and thank you for listening.